Oh yes, my friends, week one is a wrap. I tell myself every single year, don't overreact. Do not freak out when a player you spend a third round pick on goes for 20 yards on two catches and three targets. I tell myself not to react to the tight end and touchdown vultures that take points away from my players, the players that I want. So today we scanned the card, we scanned the schedule, brought in not only Hayden Winks, but our longtime friend in partnership with 444 Football. It is John Daigle for the full instant reaction show for week one. Daigsy, how you doing? Doing great. Everyone will hear this podcast on Monday mornings for their commutes, if those still exist for people, both <laughs> on the underdog feed and our own 444 feed. It's fun because we all have not only done this together, but also were shouted out by Scott Winks in California earlier this year. This so true. a lot in common among all of us. This is true. Okay, Hayden, let's not waste any time. Let's kick it off. We have a ton of games to go through. We'll give you all the details of maybe the player usage, the player performances that you missed while watching Red Zone. And we started off up in the Windy City because this game was not football. It's the 49ers at the Chicago Bears with the Bears shockingly taking it 19 to 10, the final score. Justin Fields, 18 of 17 for 121 yards, two scores. And Trey Lance, conversely, just 13 completions on 28 attempts for 164 yards and a pick. What was shocking about this, really? Outside of the weather, like I guess that's, that's the thing we need some clarity on, what, how much of this was Lance versus the weather. But I'm looking down the stat line, and they were trying to establish the run. They got a bunch of players involved after Elijah Mitchell went out. But I'm curious, Daigle, how did the passing game look? That's like the big storyline, obviously. It was mostly due to boneheaded plays why the 49ers lost this one. They... The Bears offense, for example, averaged less than a yard before contact in the game, accumulated 240 yards of net offense on 56 plays, which, mind you, would have tied for last in the league last year for 4.3 yards per play. Just a, a brutal performance, actually. And yet it didn't matter at all. Chicago still wins by two scores because of, one, Trey Lance's transparent, ongoing development with this offense and just himself. And there are beautiful highlights a la a higher ceiling than Carson Wentz. Like, go back when you get a chance and look at the dime he drops in a bucket to Ray Ray McLeod in the second quarter, for instance. But there are also so many jumbling feet moments where you start figuring out why they kept Jimmy Garoppolo, how they figured out how to keep his contract on this roster. And really what it comes down to in the second half mostly is the boneheaded mistakes the team made, not just Trey Lance, because overall they finished with 12 penalties for 99 yards, which cost them consistently. Justin Fields in the first half was still trying to get it together with three completions on nine attempts, just 19 yards and a pick in the first half. That's what they did on offense, essentially. And in the second half, that's when it exploded. In the second half alone, he was five of eight for 100 yards and both of his touchdowns, one which was his own doing. A good play call, a 51-yard completion. Dante Pettis' only catch, the one that mattered, a 51-yard touchdown. Broken Dante coverage Pettis. on the opposite side of the field. Broken coverage, yes, but also it doesn't happen if it's last year in Andy Dalton. It took Justin Fields extending the play. That's why he actually had 3.6 seconds, a long time, from snap to throw. It certainly was not because of the offensive line. Watch Nick Bosa's highlight reel and just him treat the offensive line like children. Whoever he's lined up against, he's literally just pushing into Justin Fields the entire time. But Fields scrambled around and made both touchdown plays, essentially. So it was all his own doing, honestly. Let's take this team by team. And I know that they won, but if we can 
put the Bears in the back burner and start a little bit with the 49ers because there's so much I thought that we could learn from this, right? We learned and wanted to see Trey Lance to Brandon Ayuk on those outside the numbers downfield throws and not everything condensed in the middle of the field. First, maybe better place to start, Daigle. Was it a complete slop fest? Like we saw the videos ahead of time. We saw the puddles. We saw the ponds. Was this legitimate football to be played? Like how much can we extrapolate from a game like this? I think it's actually more than you would think if you know the weather. Like the weather, I live two miles, for instance, from Soldier Field. And the weather, boots on the ground, I can attest, was horrible throughout the day. But the fact that Justin Fields still made plays and Trey Lance essentially couldn't, I think tells you everything you need to know, especially because we know the Bears started three rookies on defense. And those rookies actually totaled over seven combined tackles together and were very important to the game plan. So overall, I, I dare you to go back and not say that there are some issues here with this offense. Okay, and let's go through some of that because if you're looking at the box score, it's just two receptions for 40 yards for Brandon Ayuk on just two targets. It's two receptions for 14 yards for Debo Samuel, who then also got eight carries for 52 yards and a touchdown. We saw that more goal line usage, the same short yardage back stuff from, from Debo near the goal line. One, I think, was a jet sweep action. One was an actual legitimate backfield carry. So like Daigle, we heard during the contract dispute that, oh, he didn't want to play more running back. Well, we got incentives, and this probably means that we're still going to get Debo Samuel with an injury we're about to talk about to another running back, more and more in typical uh, running back usage from him too. And I do wonder how much of that, even though it's probably still more than we figure, is because Elijah Mitchell got injured in the first quarter in the I first think it was half. Huge. After six carries, yeah. And Elijah Mitchell did open the game with six carries of 41 yards, was their primary back. Remember, he averaged 18 carries in the 12 games, the only 12 games he completed last year, did not get injured in, was their only running back to handle a carry inside the red zone in those 12 games and handled 92% of their team's running back carries in those 12 games overall. They don't want to use anyone else. This was my concern always with Tyrion Davis-Price is that he didn't play special teams at LSU. Thus, he doesn't offer anything if he's not breaking tackles. So clearly the healthy scratched him in place of Jordan Mason because Mason offers more and being able, like Jeff Wilson, to play special teams. And Elijah Mitchell getting injured, I do think like Hayden is leaning towards, it did lean to Debo Samuel having to play that wide back role. Having said that, we also got eight targets on Trey Lance's 28 attempts. Whereas, remember, when Debo was a wide back in the second half of last year, he averaged less than five targets per game. Now, we need to step back and say, how long is George Kittle out? Because I don't want to give these eight targets per game, this high target share, right, to Debo Samuel weekly, even though that's how he would sustain last year's crazy production. But until George Kittle's out, if we were getting eight carries and a 20-plus percent target share, okay, now we're back in on Debo Samuel altogether. I'm going to be out on Debo still. I'm nervous that the pass efficiency is just going to be completely toasted. You know, like, I mean, just watch the the Jimmy G offense and this Trey Lance offense. I think it's going to take some time here. Uh, but I'm with you. When Elijah Mitchell was out there, he played the first 17 of 19 snaps. And Debo Samuel was, like, mixing at the very end. But once Elijah Mitchell went out, then Debo was actually getting running back carry. So Jeff Wilson's obviously going to be on everybody's waiver wire show. I would not rank him where I had Elijah Mitchell. I do not think they trust him uh, in those situations. And Debo Samuel is going to be playing more running back like he was last year. And it seems like Elijah Mitchell is going to be like a multi-week uh, knee injury. Um, Jeff Wilson will probably be like an RB3 somewhere in my rankings. I wouldn't go out of my way because it seems like they don't fully trust him and they'll get Tyrion Davis-Price active for next week. And we don't know how that's going to look either. My only argument 
very quickly would be, we knew this was an ambiguous target tree. That's all we were betting on Ayuk. What if the ambiguous target tree just goes to Devo Samuel? That wouldn't shock any of us. That would be my only argument for still being high on Ayuk. Last point here on the Devo. 49ers, and it's, it's more of a question for you. This was a bad performance, all things considered, for Trey Lance in his opener. Now, mm -hmm. granted, there were some factors put in. What is like the small next step that he can take just in week two? Because we don't want this to snowball, right? Like Jimmy G is lurking on the roster. He's the backup. You know, if we start with three poor games from Trey Lance, more and more noise is starting to happen just from your eyes. And we're going to, you know, go through this game and review it all week. What's the next step here? Like, what can we expect? What can he hope for in week two? Remember, we were concerned about their interior offensive line the entire time. Even though they have the best left tackle in football, they still have a left guard who played five snaps last year, an undrafted free agent from 2016 as center, and then a right guard they drafted in the fifth round who played right tackle in a small school in college. Like, they're transitioning them live, reps under fire. And Lance was under pressure consistently. And again, when you go back and watch the footwork, it's a freaking disaster. Which, you know, of course, for a player who has roughly 380 dropbacks since 2018, we're not shocked that he's still the Developing, but truly, like the concern Shanahan screamed to the press throughout the offseason, whether he meant to or not, showed in this game. And I will be curious to see how much of it was due to the rain and the offensive line, because that's what I'm still trying to sift through personally. Josh, real quick, they play the Seahawks and then the Broncos in the next few games. He he has to be out there for those games. If he plays bad, then they play the Rams in week four. I think that's where the leash is. I think he gets the next two games. If it's as bad as it was this week, then we have Rams at home, and that's when we're going to start getting the Jimmy G rumbles. I mean, it sucks that we're already talking about this, but it's totally valid. It's totally valid that we're, we're talking about that already. Okay, let's jump on over to the Bears real quick. You outlined the plays that Justin Fields made on his own, and you know we've all thought he always had that playmaking mentality. I'm glad that... We were able to see that in pieces in this game, and it was the difference, as you said. Now, we all thought the reason why in a bad team, in a bad offense, we don't think that the Bears are going to be good this year. We could lean towards Darnell Mooney is because of volume. Well, today it was three targets, one reception for eight yards, and that was it. Um, weather, something else, or is just didn't get a full glimpse of what this offense is going to be this year? I would blame this on the weather. I would blame this on... I still want to say the rust getting knocked off. I think that was really the story of week one NFL is teams in the first half just looking absolutely miserable. But then again, remember, the Bears starters played the last the first three drives of their last preseason game, so they don't really have that excuse. But yes, Darnell Mooney, even though he averaged an increased 27.5% target share without Allen Robinson last year, we saw that decline immensely. And honestly, the throw Fields had, the touchdown pass to Equinemius St. Brown, uh, there were two options to go there. It was Economy St. Brown or Byron Pringle. Both were schemed open because of the play calling, not because anything Fields did personally. So that was it as well. But I don't know because I still expect Mooney's target share to be inefficient. I knew we were battling that uphill war. But if we're also doing so with a spread out target tree, basically the poor, the very poor man's version, the homeless man's version of the Chiefs offense, that's, that's an immense concern because I'm sure you were about to bring it up, but even go to Cole Komet, uh, I honestly think I'm already going to put Cole Komet in the drop list for shallower yeah. leagues and the waiver wire. He wow. ran 17 even routes at, to even Ryan Griffin. the tight end position that it is right now. He ran 17 routes to Ryan Griffin's 10. Like, he's not even a full-time tight end. He was literally a part-time player in 21 personnel. There's no need to do that whenever you're splitting routes and targets with another tight end on the Bears offense. So I, I genuinely think maybe it's just a scheme players open kind of thing uh, akin to Mike Vrabel's offense in Tennessee. 
only rebuttal for Darnell Mooney was 17 pass attempts. They're not going to be winning too sure. many games here. They were in control of this for most of the game. So there'll be just more volume in general. Yeah. And I don't think a wide receiver on the team caught a pass until the second half. Uh, just quickly, if you want to say anything in the backfield, I mean, Dave Montgomery got 17 carries. Justin Fields obviously took 11 himself. Khalil Herbert was the one who found the end zone, I think, with a short yardage score with nine carries. Again, I just think weather impacts all of this, the game plan when 37 carries versus, you know, eight pass completions overall. Um, so I don't want to read too much into that. Not 50-50 split, obviously, it's not even close. It's it's about, uh, I don't know, 70-30 between David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. 70-30, but how much does that get squeezed the more David Montgomery stays David Montgomery and Khalil Ooh, Herbert continues to be the better player? Khalil, Terber, Khalil Herbert broke more tackles last year. He was the only running back in the league to rush for over 100 yards against the Bucks. Herbert is the better player. The coaching staff has zero ties to Montgomery. His nine carries for 13 yards in the first half don't matter whatsoever. The more that happens, the more this becomes Herbert's backfield, which is why I also think he outsnapped David Montgomery on that game-sealing drive when they scored the touchdown in the second half. Okay. Hayden, let's jump to a real legitimate football game. Let's jump to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Arizona Cardinals. And this is in the four o'clock window. But man, I need some uh, Patrick Mahomes to rest my soul after what we saw from Trey Lance in that 49ers contest. The Chiefs absolutely put up whooping on the Arizona Cardinals, 44 to 21, all behind five touchdowns through the arm of Patrick Mahomes, 30 of 39, 360 yards. This was the quarterback four in drafts a in August. Rounder. This was a cheat code that we were able to get. And Hayden, I think we really did see some differences in this offense, like we were all promised, like we all saw during preseason without Tyreek Hill. There was a lot of crossing routes. The ball was pretty spread uh, thin. Obviously, Travis Kelsey balled out as usual, but even Juju Smith gets eight targets. Uh, MVS was caught a lot of underneath passes. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, lots of trickeration at the goal line to get scheme him up some touchdowns. But yeah, no surprise. Patrick Mahomes looked dominant. He had a left wrist injury non-throwing uh arm he would battle through it it was taped up it clearly didn't affect him but i'm sure that'll be a, a miniature story was this during the say. game or did it happen in practice uh he got tackled um it, there was some wrap on and then he got tackled and it, it might have flared up something like that uh but clearly didn't affect him travis kelsey was dominant he didn't play like every single snap but it doesn't really matter if when you are getting snaps uh it's first down after first down the cardinals defense is is it's no good, you know, like they it's very linebacker heavy. Their corners is not a good situation. J.J. Watt didn't play and the Cardinals offense was lifeless. Um, no surprise there because how many how many injuries they had. But the Chiefs offensive line was awesome. That started with an awesome drive from Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes basically three five touchdowns and got out of there. Yeah, Dago, I was already running victory laps on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire during that first series because of <laughs> just what he was able to do. I mean, he opened with three carries for 34 yards. It was a walk-in touchdown for him. I really think he was the answer to the ambiguity of this backfield. Now, if you look at the box score, it's 12 carries for 62 yards for Isaiah Pacheco. That was when this team was up by 34 points or whatever. And really, CEH from early on and often during that portion with his seven carries, 42 yards, and obviously three catches for 32 yards and two scores in the air as well. Still don't think we have the answer, though. Does he get goal line carries? Because, I think we yes. do. Yes. He, 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 he did does. get them here. He did get them here. He got he got goal line targets. Uh, we but he did was, see he him get goal there. line. Okay, okay. There. I just want to make sure. Yeah, he was out now, there. But to, they also remember, point, they're, they're bored. They're perpetually yeah. bored on the goal line. <laughs> yeah, to, to your point, I think that's a really nice way of putting it. This isn't a team that's going to go heavy personnel and just run it between the tackles totally near fair. the goal line. Like what they're going to do is put two or three tight ends out there. We saw things from Noah Gray. We saw things to 
Uh, Jody Fortson, once again, these players who we thought might have just been preseason guys are now integral pieces inside the 10 and inside the five. And what Patrick Mahomes does so well, he's taken that ability to extend plays to another level with this great offensive line where he's still holding it to that last moment. And then these big bodies near the goal line, too, that's so different than, again, what they've had from the last few years. I'm not saying they're going to have a typical goal line rusher. I think the goal line player inside the 10 yard player is CEH. And we just have to hope for the ball going in his direction in those moments. Completely fair. And I know per the underdog news feed that McKinnon and CEH mirrored each other in snaps, 18 each in the first half. I think CEH's touch share overall would have been much larger had this been a competitive game, not a peewee football game. Since the card, the Cardinals are just dealing with cluster injuries. I don't even blame them. I don't even blame Kingsbury, even though he probably should take some of it. But honestly, it they were just outmatched from kickoff due to the number of bodies and who they had out there. Okay, Hayden, talk to us through the Travis Kelsey 8 for 121 and 1, Juju 6 for 79 and 0, MVS 4 for 44, and then obviously you got to throw in Miko Hardman, man. Miko Hardman got it done, and I know it only looks like 3 for 16 and 1 score, but he also had 6 targets down the field, and it looked like there were just a couple big plays that were a couple inches or even feet off. Yeah, to me, he's the number three. Uh, Sky Moore only played a couple snaps here, was re returning kicks. He, he looks fine himself, too. But uh, McCool Hardman's going to have opportunities for big plays, and so will MVS. Um, but to me, it's Juju and Travis Kelsey. Those are going to be the two top targets. And then after that, McCole Hardman, MVS, they'll bounce around for some spiked weeks. It'll be pretty hard to predict in general. Uh, but MVS was out there a lot, and I think it was a kind of a win that he was catching so many underneath passes, four of them. Uh, and not just running deep routes for like, uh, he, he easily could have had like a one for 20 game. The fact that he got four targets, caught all of them, I think is a win. Justin Watson quietly got carted off in the second half of the game too. That secretly helps out Sky Moore a ton because Watson has played ahead of him throughout camp and the preseason. Got it. Uh, we'll have a waiver show with Hayden and Sosa available on Mondays. I know Daigle does an awesome job with waivers too. So check out his feed as well. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Pacheco's name will be on there for other people. For us, we're putting context to it a little bit. And maybe the 49ers McKinnon. backfield will be. And McKinnon should be on there 100%. Okay. And quickly with Juju, it wasn't just the slot that people attached to his name, Hayden. We saw legitimate outside wide receiver work that was outside the numbers as well. He's not Transformers game per se, but he's being utilized in a different way than he has been in our brain during his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he didn't look really slow. There are some times where Juju looked slow. He looked totally normal. The knee was not affecting him. He's, I think he's going to be on pace for like 140 targets this year. Quickly, I'm looking up uh, MVS's, and I can't find it, his dot because I even saw more five, seven, eight-yard yeah. targets in the 20-plus yards down the field. Okay, Arizona Cardinals time. Uh, Kyler Murray only went 23 of 34, 193, two scores. A lot of that was when this game, again, was 30-plus points away i think the most actionable information hayden can be in the backfield with james connor getting 10 carries for 26 yards and a score also got five catches for 29 yards many people had been trying to associate a chase edmonds like running back in this backfield attached to him is there one no uh you know benjamin came in at the end um so that's like, I guess, your insurance option. But this was James Conner when this game was close. Got a, a goal line touchdown as expected. He also caught uh, five of six targets uh, to like push him up to like RB2 status. Uh, I think when this game gets a little bit closer next week, hopefully they get Rondell Moore or just the offensive line back intact. This game will get closer. The Chiefs pass rush, their front seven, even their linebacker play, it's pretty sweet now. You know, it's not like the really uh, uh, no-depth Chiefs 
edge rushers. They got they got some dudes there now. So uh, the Chiefs' defense is definitely going to be serious this year, and Kyler Murray's just going to have to go back to it. This game had no chance. Like Zach Ertz was out there. He caught a touchdown, sat against zone coverage. Uh, Marquise Brown had a garbage-time touchdown uh, near the sideline. But this, this game went nowhere. You know that it went nowhere because Greg Dortch led the team in targets, a lot of manufactured stuff, kind of in that Rondell Moore role that we're expecting. I guess that could be a positive for Rondell Moore, but Moore might be out a couple of weeks, and that's when eventually DeAndre Hopkins is going to return. And I don't think Zachers had his first catch until like the end of the third quarter. Any final words on Marquise Brown? Because it's the first time we've seen him in the NFL with Kyler Murray. He looked a little bit bigger to me, but I'm probably just it's probably the jersey color. <laughs> I don't probably know. The single digit number. It's probably yeah. a single digit number. Who, who knows? I, I think I think he'll be fine. They're gonna have to scheme him touches. This game was a complete mess early on. Okay. Let's jump back to the one o'clock window. We will go with the Browns at the Panthers since it included the 101 or the 102 in all your fantasy drafts. That is Christian McCaffrey, who his team loses 26 to 24 due to a last second field goal by I'm trying to look this up. Cade York, rookie. 58 yarder. Boom. Nailed it. Now to get there, there might've been, you know, really bad roughing the passer penalty. There were some pass interference penalties that were out there also in order to set this up on third down. Cooper set goes up there, does a fake spike and then spikes it. The rest throw the flag. They pull it out. Anyways, the Browns are able to win this game. Uh, absolutely embarrassing for the Carolina Panthers. To be perfectly honest with you, because if there was any other quarterback other than Baker Mayfield in the first half, this team would look far superior. And I do want to start off with the Panthers end because they opened with a third and 15, a third and 13, a third and 10, and a third and seven. Back-to-back three and outs. They, Baker, in his own, his first five, his first 10 pass attempts, five completions, four batted passes, and an interception. He literally could not get anything going in the first half. Obviously, Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney are outstanding edge rushers going against Ikki Aquanu and actually Taylor Moten at right tackle is very good. What they did when the ball was getting out there so quickly because he had the third shortest time to throw in the league this weekend, Baker Mayfield did. They just played volleyball, man. They just jumped up, bat it down, and Baker, when there was time given, sailed Shy Smith over the middle of the field. He led his receivers too far on the outside to miss big plays. And if he wasn't saved by a broken coverage for Robbie Anderson, 75 yards over the middle of the field, his day would look even worse. Abysmal first half from Baker Mayfield. Josh, I... why didn't, why didn't McCaffrey get more targets? You know, like to me, like this is like classic, this, a previous Christian McCaffrey, this would have been a 10 target game. Is there something targets, like one? Why didn't he get more touches? Like, yeah, uh, okay, what happened you. to just McCaffrey being the focal point of the offense? I mean, he was here, out there at least. It's like 81% here, snaps or something. Here you go. First 16 plays. Ben McAdoo calls 13 passes versus three runs. He Hell built man. the game plan around Baker Mayfield rather than Christian McCaffrey. Now, to his credit, McCaffrey also has a 28-yard run that's not attached to his name because it was a fumbled snap. There were four fumbled snaps by Baker Mayfield in this contest, too. When Christian McCaffrey picked it up and ran it for 28 yards. Again, we talked about it. The defensive tackles and the size, the questions that they have is where you attack the Cleveland Browns. And the Panthers refused to do it for far, far, far too long. Like building your offensive game plan around Baker, which were these quick outside passes and then over the middle of the field stuff, RPO situations, it was brutal. It was so brutal. And sure, some people might claim that he had some gamer to him and yeah, they were able to get back into it. But you cannot start off that way. If it was against any other quarterback, not named Jacoby Brissett, the Panthers would have been in a 21-28 point hole. It was so bad. 
I would like to join the chat and also ask, are you concerned, like the last two years, about DJ Moore moving forward? So I I will have to go back and watch. They just didn't have enough interesting concepts, longer developing routes for us to get excited for DJ Moore to be anything else other than a crossing route, mesh route, wide And that's receiver. Ben McAdoo, we know, the quick Correct. hitting scheme from 11 personnel, yes. Correct. So if that's the case, then we're going to have to have him hit broken tackles. We're going to have to have some bad coverage situations. We're going to have to have some individual dynamism from him, which he has in his back pocket. But this isn't anything new or creative to get him into advantageous positions. We just have to be a volume sponge. And then when you get near the goal line, hopefully that gets you more touchdowns too. And right now, maybe, look, I don't want to overreact to week one, but as we said, Baker is going to get the ball out quickly because of the edge rush and they didn't want to have Iki Kwanu on an island over and over and over again. So maybe this was just a week one game plan, but if it is and it continues for multiple weeks, then I don't see a huge massive ceiling to put DJ Moore into top 10 wide receiver status. Fair enough. Robbie Anderson worth a pickup? Dude, I mean, it was that 75 yarder and that's about it. Like it was the same stuff over the middle of the field, you know, like let's talk about the Browns because I see that Amari Cooper just had six targets, three receptions and 17 yards. He was the one that all these corners couldn't keep up with down the field. Um, that's where all the pass interference penalties were being hit. Donovan Peoples-Jones actually was very important here, having some second and third and long conversions. He That's why he had 11 targets. But I am terrified of all of these pass-catching weapons associated to Jacoby Brissett, who ended up going 18 of 34, for 147 yards and a score. He can't move. The offensive line would allow delayed rushes as well. And it's why at one point, once they scored and were up on the on the scoreboard, this team just Nick Chubb inside, Kareem Hunt on the outside, over and over screens. And that should be the offense from here on out. It works against the Carolina Panthers because they have no ability to stuff the run. But against better defenses, I do wonder if the ball is put in Jacoby's hands. What did you see at the goal line? Obviously, Kareem Hunt has two touchdowns here, but I believe one of them was a, a long uh, touchdown grab and then or a long rush, and there was what? I think Kareem Hunt was like a fullback and caught just some pass out in the flats when Nick Chubb was the actual running back. Yeah, we're going to talk about this with a few other teams, I'm sure, but there was actually two running back usage near the goal line. Like, Kareem Hunt was at fullback. Nick Chubb was at tailback. Just play action. No one follows Kareem Hunt out there because the defense was absolutely putrid for way too long, and then he's wide open for a pass. Now, can you use that next week, the week after, the week after that? No, because now all defenses um, will be able to pick it out. But I did like to see them on the field at times. It wasn't the same thing like we'll get to with like the Green Bay Packers, per se, where Kareem Hunt was running jet sweeps or jet motion, orbit motions, anything like that. That is not the case at all. But it was more just typical fullback, tailback stuff. So what we're also saying then is, our favorite breakout tight end, David Njoku, who ran around on 75% of dropbacks, played 90% of snaps. Really, it's what we feared in that he's just battling efficiency from Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. There is nothing about Jacoby Brissett in a Kevin Stefanski offense that looks different about Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> and right in an NFL offense, asterisk. Right. Um, I do want to shout out though, Nick Chubb. I mean, 22 carries, 141 yards. Just there were so Dog. many times his momentum was stopped that he just kept going, jumped over people, and just rumbles. It is. 
the most pulverizing thing about watching football is when everyone in the stadium knows the running back is getting the ball in like third and seven and they still can't stop it. And that's just what keeps happening. It happened last year against the Panthers. And again, it happened this year against the Browns for the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Baker was so garbage. Let's jump <laughs> over to Did someone have the Ravens at the Jets. I did. What a Lamar game. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> what a game. So we don't have Zach Wilson in this contest, as everyone knows. So what happens instead is Lamar Jackson going 17 of 30, 213 yards, three scores, and an interception to lead his Ravens 24 to 9 victory over the Jets. There was one really long touchdown, 55-yard pass to Rashad Bateman. This wasn't the cleanest game for the Ravens. They were kind of stuck in the mud for a little bit. They were not able to run the ball. Uh, as a note, it was Kenyon Drake as the clear one. You can drop Mike Davis. Uh, they were even using Justice Hill out there. But basically, they're not going to be targeting their running backs. And it seems like they're going to try to pass the ball uh, in neutral situations. They had a pretty clear lead. Um, and they were still passing the ball. Rashad Bateman wasn't a full-time player, which is something to monitor, but he had the explosive play. Devin Duvernay, two touchdowns, absolute freak speed. Um, he's, the, he's the clear wide receiver too, but they didn't mix in Demarcus Robinson for like run looks. They had Isaiah Likely out there. He didn't really do anything. Um, so this game was kind of as expected against better offenses. Uh, Lamar Jackson will have more room to A, run the ball, and also to keep pedaling uh, through the pass game. I think that Mark Andrews and... Rashad Bateman are going to have better games than they did here. Anything about the running back situation without J.K. Dobbins? What can we learn from that? Nothing. Don't. If you're starting any of them, your team's screwed. There it is. Uh, I feared. That, that is a little worrisome, no, from Rashad Bateman, that it was just two receptions on 59 yards, and it's all because of that 55-yard long score, which is great. Like, again, Marquise Brown was highly inefficient on 30 20 plus yard targets last year i think he only had five receptions i think bateman only had eight 20 plus yard targets last year and caught four of them so if we're getting some more you know high value targets like more stuff down the field for him i like that but i would just like more vo volume in totality too pff had him 25 of 34 routes which is not exactly what you're expecting he might be more of a boom bust wide receiver three than maybe like a consistent wide receiver three that i was hoping for but man he's still really big and that was an explosive play down the field so i'm still holding out some hope okay jets backfield time because michael carter 10 carries 60 yards Brees hall six carries 23 yards michael carter seven receptions 40 yards and a drop touchdown and Brees hall six receptions for 38 yards Lay it out for us. Joe Flacco couldn't move, and he was just checking the ball over and over and over again. Uh, Michael Carter started. He was the one that played about like 60% of the snaps. To me, he looked much better. His vision is just awesome. He had some really quality runs here. The drop was brutal. Like Obviously, we know the drop was brutal, but at the same exact time, Brees Hall had a, a fumble that was more brutal, I'm sure, in the coach's eyes. Uh, and Brees Hall is clearly the... Uh, I guess I'm calling the two. I wouldn't call him the one B. I guess maybe somebody would call him the one B, but I don't think you should be starting Brees Hall quite yet. Uh, Michael Carter, just more consistent player. And if Joe Flacco's out there, I'm expecting a lot of check downs, nothing down the field. And I guess Michael Carter can catch a bunch of passes because the Jets defense is going to be okay at best. And this, this offense is just going to be a negative game script all, all, all day long. Was this, a response to because of the Jets defense, or is it literally because Joe Flacco stuck in cement and we should be worried about their offense even against softer matchups moving forward? 
Yeah, I think I'm worried about all of it. Um, and we're, we're worried about the rotation, too. It's it's obviously the running backs are rotating, so it kind of keeps yes. both of them in check. The wide receivers also rotating. It's exactly what we had in the preseason. It makes sense schematically to an extent. Elijah Moore's their one. He led the team in routes. Corey Davis had a lot of over-the-middle contested catches because he's the biggest receiver that they have. He's very uh, well-paid. He's experienced. He led uh, the wide receivers with nine targets. Actually was pretty... Um, efficient on them. Garrett Wilson eventually was the wide receiver three, but Braxton Berrios was the 11 personnel slot receiver until late in the game in garbage time. You can't be starting Garrett Wilson until either Braxton Berrios or Corey Davis leave the rotation. I'm not sure we're going to get that. Garrett Wilson had a couple explosive plays. You can see how he could be a post by rookie bump candidate, but for right now, it's Elijah Moore and Corey Davis as the top two. If you're playing DFS or something like that, that's how I would order it. Can't wait on Tuesday in the Stats versus Film Show to talk about Michael Carter's three goal line carries, his four short yardage carries as well. That's the usage. That's the backfield. I know they're going to be losing, but again, the disparity in ADP was drastically different between the two. John Daigle, Philadelphia Eagles 38, Detroit Lions 35. Does the scoreboard indicate how close this game was actually on the field? Yes. The Eagles did take a two-score lead at one point in the second half, but overall, this game was competitive throughout because, for some odd reason, although we would all agree from the top down, the Eagles have not only the best personnel in this game, not only the best personnel in their division, but maybe even the conference, and yet the Lions put it to them on the ground. They did exactly what they wanted to. And again, maybe this goes back to the Lions practicing in pads throughout training camp because they're a bunch of dogs, and also playing their starters in preseason immensely more than the Eagles did. Jalen Hurts only played one drive in the preseason. Maybe it's because the Lions already had the rust knocked off. But DeAndre Swift, of his 145 rushing yards, 100 yards came after contact. Like, this team put it to them for over 200 rushing yards on the ground to an Eagles defense we expected to take it to the Lions overall. The concern for a lot of sharp people throughout the offseason, the concern was always, yes, you may want to restore the roar, but can Jared Goff actually restore the roar? And fantasy points per game and yards per attempt dipping for three consecutive seasons now, and we saw, no, he certainly cannot, because today was the day, and yet he walks away with six and a half yards per attempt and just failed constantly, really only hammering the ball to Amonra St. Brown, who yet came away again with a 30-plus percent target share, carrying over that last five-game stretch because they couldn't put the genie back in the bottle. Once you see it, you make your wishes. No more going back yet. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of the same offense what you expect, and it's just going to come down to their best players weekly having to make career best plays. Okay, let's focus in on that Lions offense since you're there right now. Uh, I talked to Hayden before this week and said this is about the worst possible matchup the Lions could have in week one because the Eagles defensive line is absolutely loaded we know that Jared Goff can create productive offensive players and even wins because his offensive line is that good but again against a ferocious tenacious aggressive defensive line he's going to be put in in losing situations here i'm assuming that that's exactly what happened like again this was a strength meeting a strength and maybe too often when the quarterback was pressured he folded like jared goff is known to do but that's not going to happen as often against other opponents you know 
And it worked out today because they had so much success on the ground. They knew they could lean on it, whether it was from the outside and DeAndre Swift taking care of the ball on the ground, or once they got into the 10, just handing it off to Jamal Williams for his two touchdowns. Jamal Williams, of course, just like last year, still the goal line back when healthy. I, I don't think that's shocking. How, how big we of a deal that. is that, though? Because I mean, I'm looking it's, at it. It's it's both of the touchdowns were one-yard touchdowns. DeAndre Swift was seven. Obviously, DeAndre Swift, if he's going to be this efficient and the Lions are going to play this well, it's not going to matter all that much. But we're talking about second-round price tag. You're not getting the goal line back. I'm not sure how concerned we should be um, with DeAndre Swift. My biggest takeaway for the Lions, outside of these, what we learned in their backfield, is that although we pretty much figured it, we now know DJ Shark is very clearly the wide receiver too. And Love Jared that. Goff has a single-digit rate of throws 20-plus yards downfield for three consecutive seasons. He's not a player who ever goes downfield, so I worried about Chark to begin with. But just the fact he's out there for essentially every single snap with the Monroe St. Brown says a lot for this offense. So we expect him to be number two or number three in targets uh, ahead of T.J. Hawkinson, most likely, weekly. Love that. Yeah, I'm on Rod 1, 8 for 64 and 1. D.J. Chark, 4 for 52 and 1. Uh, DeAndre Swift, 15 carries, 144 yards and 1 touchdown. As Hayden knows, my biggest complaint with Swift previously, he was fantastic, fantastic as a receiving back and in the open field. And I know he had a huge catch and run of 25 yards in that here, but like opening up with a 50 yarder, I want to dive into how many broken tackles he forced as a rusher too. Cause if he's just improved in that area, which is naturally possible, I mean, it's so complete. It is so complete with him this year. And yeah, Jamal Williams had those two short yarded scores. Okay. He, he should be owned in every, every league. Like yeah, to me, he's, he's clearly the, the insurance guy and you could toss him in your flex. Like you could this week. Yeah. Not a bad day from Hawkinson, you know, four for 38. That'd have been pretty good for him last year. Okay. Not, not ninth round material. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Philadelphia Eagles time. It's so funny when you look at Jalen hurts, man, it's 18 of 34 and you're like, uh, but then you look at, what he does and carries the game, 243 yards as a passer, 17 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. I believe he had a 50 yards in the first half as a rusher two in the first quarter as a rusher. Talk me through this because this was the quarterback six in all drafts. This is the guy that the offense is now being built around that has a lot of pressure on his shoulders and Daigle with not just a win, but also by his individual performance, it feels like he stepped up to the table. The first two drives, the Eagles were stumped. Lots of curl routes. And for some reason, both Devonta Smith and Asia Brown not really getting open. Very tight coverage, maybe because the Lions were playing at home. It's the home opener. You're juiced because the crowd makes sense. Lots of adrenaline going through your body. But honestly, the third drive is when you see the crossing routes start happening and opening up because that's when you just get Titans, A.J. Brown, except Titans A.J. Brown gets hammered more than 106 targets in an Eagles offense, not in a Mike Vrabel offense. And so that's why we see a team high in targets, 13 overall in this game. Also, if you look at the first half and just want to look at highlight throws, questioning yourself, asking if Jalen Hurts can make a big-time throw, well, you not only have going over 300 yards in three of his first five starts last year when this was a pass-happy offense trying to figure out what their identity was, you have this game. You have highlight throws down the field. It is a concern that Devontae Smith had four targets and didn't come away at the catch, especially because we already questioned him since he was the wide receiver 44 in points per game as the alpha last year, and now very clearly not an alpha compared to AJB. But overall, yes, AJ Brown, every level of the field, just crossing routes, breaking tackles, going deep, used intermittently at every formation. That's what we wanted to see. It is very clear with 
43 dropbacks in this game, a competitive game throughout, mind you, 43 dropbacks to 23 running back carries, I think tells you that the Eagles are incentivized, like we kind of figured as much, to be a heavier passing team than last year's 34% pass play rate, a league low, whenever they had a six-point lead. They need to see what they have in Jalen Hurts, and I think this carries out for the rest of the year. That passing chart, Josh, I know you want to say it, not too much over the middle, not nothing too deep. I think it's fine it's when okay. you have... I mean, you have A.J. Brown. It's the whole point is you throw A.J. Brown the it's ball in the and then he runs. Yeah. Like, that's the whole I'm, point. So, yeah. is, is A.J. Brown just Terrell Owens reincarnated? I mean, he looked exactly like him today. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's insane what he's able to do immediately stepping out there. Ten receptions, 155 yards for him. Again, Dave, you mentioned, I think, 43 dropbacks in totality. That gave us four targets, zero receptions, and zero catches for Devonta Smith. Not good. We already, again, we already had questions about his production coming in. And now we worry even more thinking they just hammer Dallas Goddard and A.J. Brown. Dallas Goddard, who remember already ran a route on 79% of dropbacks once they traded Zach Ertz last year, essentially an every down pass heavy tight end. I saw a lot of Miles Sanders in the first half. inside the 10 yard situations in the first half. Then obviously Kenneth Gainwell gets a short yard score. And then Boston Scott also gets a short yard score. Can we hang our hat anything on the first half of Miles Sanders' usage? Or is this a, hey, who the hell knows which Eagles backfield is going to, or running back is going to get the high value touches this season? Although he did lead the team in carries inside the 10, or touches inside the 10 of the first half, we don't have an answer, honestly, because they shuffled them so much in the second half. We saw a couple times Kenneth Gainwell in there and then stayed in there for two consecutive snaps in the third quarter. We saw uh, Miles Sanders in there for a few RPOs in the first half. So I just genuinely think they shuffled these three weekly. Let's go over the Patriots at the Dolphins. Dolphins win at home 22-7. I know most importantly, the people want to know, what does Tyreek Hill and Tua Tungavailoa look like together? Well, Tyreek, eight receptions on 12 targets for 94 yards. And in total, Tua, 23 of 33, 270, and one touchdown. It was fine. Like, nothing that we learned today is different from what you saw from Tua last season or the season before that. The arm is not stronger. The deep shots are not necessarily there. Like his big play that happened in this contest was fourth and seven with 24 seconds left to go. It feels like the Patriots believe that the Dolphins are either playing for halftime or to go in for a field goal. And he nails and threads a pass between two underneath zone defenders and one over the top. Jalen Waddle catches it between those three, puts his head down and is off to the races. Um, the Tyreek Hill target chart is going to look so different than what we saw in Kansas city. It was a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of motion, a lot of extended plays, not down the field, but like then Tua gets to the backside guy and boom, Tyreek is there. Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think Hayden, we're going to see more of a volume sponge from this Tyreek Hill role rather than the big play of 35 of 55 yards down the field that brings you home each and every week. Just looking at the box score, I can't wait to post the neutral pass rate chart because I was nervous that the Dolphins were going to be too Shanahan-y and run the ball too much, but that doesn't really fit their offensive personnel all that much, and I'm looking at it, 36 dropbacks for two at only 23 team carries. That would be higher than I would have guessed, and that would be good news for both Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Mike McDaniel, for what we wanted to see from a creativity standpoint, 
like put his players in the best positions to succeed. Now, is it limited by what I called a pool noodle arm that Tua put out there? Yes. Like the first pass, I'm sure a lot of you saw the highlights of it. He skipped rocks about seven yards in front of his wide open wide receiver. You know, there's another play that Terry kill was one-on-one coverage along the outside. That should have been a wide open interception for the defensive back that Terry kill ripped away in the air and brought it down for a big time catch. There was another play later on where Tua threw it to two defenders and the one who had a worst angle on it, knocked it down for the safety that would have been right there. You know, like the stars were shining down onto it. I'm not saying he was bad at all, but let's not get carried away that we're seeing something new out of him. But I do think that the dolphins, they lost, I think they went down to like their third right tackle. They lost to Ron Armstead for a little bit too, uh, in this game. The coaching is what elevated them. I think in those situations and the playmakers surrounding a averaged at best quarterback here, I think Daigle is what's going to give them winning possibilities much more often than they've seen in previous years. Every time I looked up, Tyreek Hill was getting the ball, stopping, looking upfield, and trying to get yak. And I think that's what this offense is. Now, on one hand, we expected them to do this. Well, some of us. I heard the I heard Hayden's bet last week. Um, against a Patriots defense who doesn't offer any amount of speed that could match right. the Dolphins, even comparable, not even close. On the other hand, though, how many defenses do? So I think it really comes down to film out on Tua as we move on to the season and then yep. how he develops and gets better in this offense. Cause like you said, Josh, truly a lot of these throws were ducks, Yeah, um, and, but the, but the scheme got them open. Exactly. And I don't want to like, again, get upset about to it. It was fine. Like those, there's four mil, the field targets. Um, those are past 10 yards and you know, they're different than the RPO slants that we saw the left side. Hey, we didn't see almost any of those today, which was great. It was great for my eyes. Um, Tyreek had a 9.3 a dot, you know, which is about two yards less than he saw last year in his career low since his rookie season in Kansas city. Again, it's just going to be more volume from Tyreek. I am a little bit nervous if that's the case of what we get from Jalen Waddle. Cause again, without that 42 yard and maybe, you know, taking away the best play from a player can be a wrong thing to do, but without that, you know, he has 27 yards on the day and just far, far less volume than Tyreek Hill puts out there. Is there enough volume for Chase Edmonds? Do we get any goal line opportunities? It seems like he's going to be the third down guy. Uh, it seems like they're going to get him on the edge too. Um, but it, it's basically the difference between RB2 or RB3. I'm trying to think back to any goal line. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, yeah. I, I, I we'll can't remember. Um, Mike Kosicki's absolutely droppable. Like yes. He's barely running routes. I don't this know game, why you were you- him. Uh, Seathan Carter got injured in this game with a concussion. So, like, they lost a tight end, and yet it didn't matter at all. Like, Jasicki Steele was pretty much useless for fantasy altogether. Yeah, and Durham Smythe fumbled earlier on. Okay, on the Patriots end, we have to talk about this backfield situation, too. Nine carries for Damian Harris, eight carries for Ramondre Stevenson. Ty Montgomery got two carries along with a catch that he rolled into the end zone. The first half snap rate, 46% Damian Harris, 29% Ty Montgomery, 25% Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre had the lowest receiving work of the entire group. Hayden, right now, if this is the unit that we get from the Patriots in terms of the offense being not good, the offense being stale, Matt Patricia not showing us anything of quality, um, all of the high value touch situations, all the touchdowns are going to be limited. And the only one in that regard that I would lean towards is starting Damian Harris. Cause he was the one that started this game. He was the one that was getting chunk gains earlier on. And he was the one that it felt like that they trust the most, even with more of zone blocking scheme this year. 
I mean, he's, he was a starter in camp. He was a starter in preseason. He was a starter last year. There's no point in changing it right now. It's not going to matter, though, if Mac Jones is banged up. He had x-rays and was walking very gingerly for a, uh, some type of back injury. I don't know the extent of that, but if he's really immobile or he really can't throw the ball downfield, it's all of a sudden this going to be very, very, very condensed offense. So to me, it's like if Mac Jones isn't isn't right, then what's the, what's even the point? Yeah, he had x-rays. Did not look good. Okay, Daigle, we're going to jump back to you with the let me find it here chargers oh yeah i forget we have slates for the raiders at chargers um this one turned out to be very close with the los angeles chargers winning at home 24 to 19 justin herbert electric the lightning bolt 26 of 34 279 yards and three touchdowns i think everyone will ask to begin with what happened to Mike Williams. So let's go ahead and start there because he still ran 32 routes on Justin Herbert's 35 dropbacks. It was literally out there. But what we saw was more and additional, I guess, on top of last year, what the Chargers saw, deep safety looks. And thus we get Justin Herbert having yet again a seven and a half depth of target, throwing to everyone under the sun, name a player, and they got a target underneath. Uh, we saw Gerald Everett, although he did get there in spike production, including over 50 receiving yards and a touchdown, he wasn't a full-time tight end. Like, even Trey McKitty was involved far more than you think, running 15 routes to Everett's 23 uh, per our friends at Pro Football Focus. So, overall, like, we just saw everyone involved. Mike Williams, the deep target. I haven't gone back. We don't have the film to see this yet. But I also wonder if Josh McDaniels laid out a Belichick blueprint and bracketing Mike Williams as pretty much the only deep guy they were worried about. Because Keenan Allen was scorching before he suffered that hamstring injury, which then allowed them to bring in all of Jalen Guyton, Josh Palmer, and DeAndre Carter. People want to know about DeAndre Carter since he was the very successful one of the box score. And... Maybe his performance leads to more opportunity, but I will note he actually only ran 14 routes compared to, for instance, Jalen Guyton's, or compared to Josh Palmer's 26. And so maybe Carter pushes Palmer more for three wide sets. But either way, I'm more than comfortable going back to Mike Williams uh, Thursday night. We get the the special Chiefs game in a short turnaround, which is why I also don't expect Keenan Allen to play with a soft tissue injury. You, you might have just said this. Can I theorize this for a moment? Because last sure. year with Josh Palmer, this is why I loved him so much. When Keen Allen went down, he played in the slot. When Mike Williams went down, he played on the outside. Now, almost certainly because of his size, because of his profile, we'll see him in two wide receiver sets with Mike Williams. But this is also a team that lives in 11 personnel most of the time. And because of DeAndre Carter's archetype, Daigle, I think this keeps Joshua Palmer on the outside. You know, they don't have another outside wide receiver. So that would mean Carter is the one that could see those Keen Allen type plays and shout out to Stanley who was, you know, shouting and, and telling us to check out Carter over and over in preseason and training camp because he was making plays practice after practice. Is that fair, Daigle? Like, do you, do you think Carter can, like, we're not going to see Palmer with his Allen injury shift into the slot anymore is basically what my point is. Yeah, that's fair. And Palmer was already eating into Keenan Allen's fantasy points, targets per route run in the last five games last year, whenever he overthrew Jalen Guyton, Again, my issue is even though DeAndre Carter had his success in this game, 64 yards and touchdown um, as a part-time player, I do think he still may play more because he performed well in this game. And so that's what I'm trying to guess, not really what happens next. And uh, again, we we have a short turnaround where we expect everyone to succeed against the Chiefs defense. 
as our guest. So I'm still working through that right now. I mean, the um, answer is just get rid of Jalen Guyton. Like, what's the point of Jalen Guyton? He's all, he never does anything. Just get him off the field. Keep Josh Palmer on the outside. Have Carter Reed in the slot, and then Mike Williams will eat. Like, I think that was the big note. Last year's Raiders cover one, cover three, perfect for Mike Williams. This is a completely different uh, defensive coordinator, completely different scheme. Uh, that was working against Mike Williams, who's always just going to be inconsistent. It is what it is. But if he has 180 yards and two touchdowns next week, I wouldn't be surprised. Guyton only ran two routes, too, so I don't even think he's part of their factor. I think it comes down to two players, and it's on us to figure out which one matters more for Thursday. Uh, before you guys get out of here, I know that all of you are going to check out the Sunday night football game. Leave us a sub, leave us a like, leave us a thumbs up. Go and check out Daigle's podcast, which is down below. We're going to keep rolling here as the game goes along. But I know so many of you are going to go check out SNF. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Okay. Uh, talk to me about the backfield situation with the Chargers, too, because Austin Eckler, we know, is the clear-cut one. After that, it was a jumbled mess during preseason. By the sounds of it, it looks like it was Joshua Kelly for the first half, but then I saw like a bunch of Sony Michelle touches in the second half when they were trying to run out the clock. That's exactly what it was, trying to kill the clock. And Bill Barnwell had a great t tweet. He noted that in their Chargers' first six drives, they had over 300 yards on offense, 16 first down, and 24 points. And then those last drives were really when they stumbled and became more of a run-heavy offense with just a couple first downs and less than 100 yards on offense. So overall, it was really the Chargers trying to charger at the end of the game, as they typically do. But I generally don't think we learned much, even with Isaiah Spiller being active. We were already kind of worried about the backup situation and who to actually grab as Eckler's direct backup. And I think the answer as has always been is not really anyone. Like I think it's a timeshare until someone emerges, but no one can emerge with this kind of split behind Eckler. And maybe that's what they were doing, honestly. Maybe they were trying yeah. to figure out who serves what role behind Eckler. But right now the answer is no one. Okay. Raiders end. We got bad Derek Carr. Three interceptions, two touchdowns, 295 yards. I guess the biggest question, Statement more. Devontae Adams, veteran, Ooh, switches teams, gets 17 targets, 10 receptions, 141 yards, and a score. These top-end quarterbacks and wide receivers today, holy shit. We learned, well, you should have learned when Stephon Diggs got traded because I made the mistake right? Whenever he then went on in his first year changing teams to lead the league in targets, receiving yards, catches, and receiving touchdowns. We should have learned that when great receivers change teams, it doesn't matter. They're still great receivers. So and trades are different than free agency. Correct. And so when Devontae Adams changes teams, it doesn't matter. He's still Devontae Adams. Uh, so to lead this team, but more importantly, I always thought that Josh McDaniels was in this new era Maybe not when he coached the Broncos, but in this new era with the Raiders, he was always level-headed enough to understand he has the worst offensive line in the league. So I didn't think that would really catch up to them. And Derek Carr was only under pressure on 12.5% of his dropbacks because really all they did was, like the Eagles, run crossing routes for Devontae Adams and Darren Waller or unique schemes to bide enough time for Devontae Adams in particular to get down to the field. No one else really mattered outside of those two. And we, we are also aware that Hunter Renfro, although he is a, a nice little possession receiver, averaged five fewer fantasy points per game in the games where Darren Waller was basically not injured and played more than 30% of snaps. And so the hedge always for drafts was you got to go Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro because both can't get there. They eat away at each other. And that's what happened in this game, that it was Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, non-existent. So I think we just see more of that, honestly, as we move along. I Although they lost and there were some down times, especially because they're throwing to their backs quite often, and not just one, they're mixing them in intermittently, 
I do think it was an impressive showing for a team that we worried about their offensive line. They still have shown they can certainly scheme yards on offense constantly in good matchups. It's pretty simple to me. Devontae Adams' option route is one of the best plays in football. Like there, there's, there's your best play in football right there, and that's what we saw over and over again. The Chargers' defense is going to be really good this year. This, they did this without J.C. Jackson holding the Raiders to 19 points. Uh, I, I want to watch the tape here, but I mean, Devontae Adams, to me, it was always, yes, he's going to trade off some efficiency, but he's so damn good. He's always going to be highly efficient. And the Raiders probably just going to pass more than the Packers did when they were w- winning like games, what, like 15 and three or whatever they were winning over there. It's, this is going to be a, a seven win team for the Raiders and Devontae Adams going to have a couple games like this. Yeah. I can't wait to see the red zone work when I check out that game this week. Hayden, let's jump on over to one of yours. Saints at the Falcons Saints win in the end, despite trailing for the entire contest due to a 17 point fourth quarter. They come out victorious 27 to 26. Dare I say that early game Taysom Hill with four carries, 81 yards and 57 as a long with a score. What the hell is happening in comparison to Alvin Kamara for nine carries and 31 yards. Alvin Kamara, just three receptions for seven yards. What do we make of the Saints offense? Well, they were trailing this entire game. Of course, classic Falcons absolutely blow this. Uh, they end the game. Um, they were winning 26 to 10. Then it went touchdown, punt, touchdown, punt, field goal uh, with 30 seconds left, uh, 51 yarder to win this game. So Alvin Kamara never really got going. I'm not expecting him to catch as many passes just because number one, Jameis Winston's not going to throw the ball to his running backs as often. And number two, and most importantly, they added Michael Thomas back to the lineup, Chris Olave and Jarvis Landry. There's just way more target competition for Alvin Kamara. And that's why I was, even when the suspension stuff wasn't uh, as high of a risk, I was still kind of out on him just because Michael Thomas looks good and Jarvis Landry had a good game. Uh, but for the most part, he, he will get more carries. Um, it was just that they were basically trailing this entire game. Okay. Did we get what kind of James Winston did we get? Because I know they were trailing. This was a big debate heading into the year because in games that they won early last season, he was a starter. He had about 20, 23 attempts here. He went for 34, which really isn't that much. Again, when you have 10 points heading in the fourth quarter and you're down by what, 23 or 20 points? It was like classic Jameis. There was too many sacks um, definitely early in the first half, and they were really struggling. I think the biggest takeaway for the Saints is just the evaluation for Michael Thomas, and he scored two touchdowns here. Uh, He had a couple times where he slipped at the top of his routes. We can argue if that's because of the ankle or not, but when you're talking about ball tracking or just straight line speed, I didn't really see a difference with the old Michael Thomas and this Michael Thomas. There's one play in particular. He was lined up in the slot and clear main coverage from AJ Terrell. He runs his like long kind of wheel route up down the sideline, collects speed against AJ Terrell, who was awesome. Maybe one of the best corners in the league last year and comes down with it. So uh, eight targets for him. That's definitely enough. Uh, Jarvis Landry really started eating late in the game. So did Michael Thomas Landry came down with an awesome play down by the sideline. He walks away with nine targets. I think for Chris Olave, the fear is like he, I think Hmm. he's going to have some big games, but compared to Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, like those guys like are just sitting there earning targets underneath all day long. Chris Olave is going to be the field stretcher. I think we're going to see a lot of three target games from him. I think he's gonna be better in best ball ultimately. And Michael Thomas probably going to be wavering on like the wide receiver two ish borderline. I do want to know, it is a small sample, but we now have five games that Alvin Kamara has played alongside Mark Ingram since last year, and his weekly finishes in those five games for half PPR, underdog, scoring, is RB15, 
RB6, RB53, RB36, and RB43 with both primetime games pending. Not good. We knew his usage was volatile to begin with, especially once we saw their starters drive in the final preseason game. Mark Ingram gets the goal line touches. Okay, what are we battling here? But now we're also dealing with Jamin Winston still scrambling like he did in his last two games, which post a steel tear is amazing in itself, but also Taysom Hill getting carries. So this is like a quietly five-way committee we're trying to split. Alvin Kamara continue a career-high 22 touches per game from last year. It just ain't happening. Yeah, and last note for me, Mark Ingram, to me, this just completely based off the film, did not look like the 31-year-old or whatever he is. He had a little bit of pop. To me, he's clearly the the insurance back here. I think he should be rostered in most leagues, and he really isn't here. And if you can sell Alvin Kamara based off of his name, I think I would pull the trigger on that. Wow. I know Chris Olave also had a two-point conversion. Um, interesting. Okay, Falcons time. Electric, spicy, Oh yeah, UC to start this game. I mean, all I saw was... Marcus Mariota having some rushing production, some exciting plays outside the tackles too. 20 of 33 in the air, 215 yards, added 72 yards in the ground and a score for him. Yeah, scrambled around. He did have a costly fumble, but for fantasy purposes, 72 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown and moving the ball through the air just enough is enough. If you're in a super flex league, I think he's a starter. I mean, the front seven for the Saints is going to be better than most. Uh, Obviously, the Saints had some issues in the secondary aside from uh, Marshawn Lattimore. To me, the biggest storyline for the Falcons here is Cordero Patterson. Uh, Tyler Algier was a healthy scratch. Uh, no surprise there, a day three rookie. Um, Damian Williams is was mixing in on the first drive, leaves with a rib injury, comes back in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, CPAT, it was like CPAT like last year. Let's do it. On the outside, explosive runs, got a goal line carry. Uh, he didn't get as many targets. Uh, actually, five of them only caught three of them. Uh, I mean, he looked really damn explosive, and I don't think that Damian Williams and Tyler Algier are going to be coming for him. He was by far the most explosive option uh, on, on, on a day by or on a like a drive by drive basis. And the offensive line looked a little bit better than I was anticipating. Yeah, I mean, it's Pat Daigle, twenty-two carries, one hundred and twenty yards, a score, three catches for sixteen yards. H- Hayden and I, and maybe you're in the same boat here, Daigle. We wanted to advocate for CPAT all summer because it was crazy that someone like this could fall to like what running back 36 when it felt like the Tyler Algier nonsense who was inactive today, the Damien Williams, like there was no clear replacement for him based on what he did last year. Yet we didn't see anything. There wasn't any clear reports of him being the primary back. But after one week, like one of the facts of week one is that Cordero Patterson is the lead running back for the Atlanta Falcons. I just to uh, pat myself on the back also wrote him up in my DFS tournament plays, um, my article for this week, because what we did see was two preseason snaps. That told us single-handedly he's under bubble wrap and he's going to get unleashed in week one. And yes, like Hayden said, we had Damian Williams injured in the first quarter. We had Tyler Algier healthy scratched. Thus, the only running back available for two quarters, essentially, was Avery Williams, who was drafted in the fifth round for his play on special teams, nothing else. But even then, those 22 carries you noted, Josh, 25 touches, and the fact that Patterson handled 83% of the team's backfield touches, all those were Patterson's highest marks since he joined the Falcons last year. It's very clear they are ready to unleash him now and honestly this offense while not good it reminds me of the bills before josh allen was good like they're just fun they are hell on wheels and you don't know what's going to happen except there are only two playmakers there are patterson and kyle pitts and i was worried about kyle whoa, pitts from the whoa, beginning whoa, whoa, whoa. those are fighting words daigle hold on hold on and kyle pitts because 
Kyle Pitts, of course, 12 targets, 70 receiving yards, and two matchups against the Saints last year. And Arthur Smith has no idea how to use him. I still have faith in Kyle Pitts moving forward, but it was very clearly a Patterson game. And I think what we saw exceeded all of our expectations, even expecting him to break out. CPAT would be fine. Or, uh, I mean, Kyle Pitts would be fine. A couple plays down the sideline just missed him. To me, the Drake London stuff was, sure, I, yeah. I would consider it a win intermediate routes and he was limited all week he was uh, a questionable coming into this we knew who's going to play crossing routes he looked definitely explosive for somebody his size i think this is a win i can easily see him winning an offensive rookie the year this year just because kenny pick is not playing the running backs and i mean who's who's gonna be breaking out here i think that he's gonna be clearly the number two um maybe match kyle pitts one for one with targets this year i think that was a big win for drake lund just based off the tape I mean, people are going to be irate about Kyle Pitts, Aiden. Took him in the third round. Once again, it feels like we're back. Seven targets. I'll year. take that. I'll take that. Okay. I'm just telling you, the people will be irate. <laughs> if, it, if it continues, yeah. <laughs> just, just to note, the the number two receiver, you're not going to get anything out of him. But it was Olamide Zacchaeus who did run 24 routes to Drake London's 32. So, again, you're not going to get any of him. It's probably Kyle Pitts who gets seven empty targets. But that's the Falcons offense. Last game we focused on, and then we'll get to some questions we had for the others. Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers 23 to seven. And once again, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers lay a goose egg basically in week one, like they did last year against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, it just feels like a total breath of fresh air offensively. The creativity was off the charts. I'll get to Justin Jefferson and his ludicrous 184 yards and two scores in a moment, but it just sig it signifies one play. Like this team came out in 21 personnel with CJ Ham and Alexander Madison on one series went into empty out of this had Alexander Madison and that jet sweep action to force all of the defensive attention one way, then hit CJ ham in a screen to the opposite direction. This is stuff. This is shit that you would never have seen in a Mike Zimmer, whoever his friend and his son as offensive coordinator in previous years, you know, we just wouldn't have gotten it. The rushing games were always great. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen have been productive in the past, but now we get coaches elevating individual players. And what happens when you get to elevate a talent like Justin Jefferson by putting him in the slot for a big play, by putting him on X receiver in a big play, by stacking him in other situations, being an over route for these monstrous 64 yard touchdowns. Like, you get maybe the best wide receiver in the league who then turns this offense into maybe a top 10, top five unit as well. I could not be more impressed with what the Minnesota Vikings did. I know it was just 23 points in comparison to what we've seen across the board, but it just looks so different and it felt different than what we've seen. And he wasn't a bad coach, but a Mike Zimmer led unit previously. Against the Packers, man, who are I think are going to end up Loaded. being a very good defense. Very good defense. Justin Jefferson, to me, this isn't even a spicy take. He's the most valuable non-quarterback uh, on offense in the NFL. Like, he's just – he's so dominant. And we're going to be debating Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson all damn year long. But congrats to either one of them. You are in right. good hands. Right. If you had the 103 oh. or 104 at any point this summer, you have shares of both. Congratulations. Well, also, like, even then, like, Jamar Chase and Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, yeah, they went the, top, yeah. the top five literally separated themselves this week. Like, they were like, no, this is your fault for trying to put someone else uh, in our tier. Uh, what's interesting about Justin Jefferson, too, it wasn't just this week with a 34% target share, but he now has seven consecutive games going back to week 13 last year where he has at least a 30% target share. He just doesn't lose now. Since, since he entered the starting lineup, this is the guy they go to. Led Sunday's slate and yards after the catch, too. Dalvin Cook had 20 carries. 
Alexander Madison had eight carries. I asked the question in August around training camp, like where did this ridiculous notion that Kene and Wangwu or Ty Chandler, who was inactive today, could supplant Alexander Madison as the backup running back? It wasn't even close. Like they didn't even get an offensive touch. It's clearly Alexander Madison. He had some awesome carries in this game too, where he was barreling over defenders. Maybe it lit that fire. I'm glad we did that for you. Alexander Masson, because for some reason you were one of the more disrespected players across the league. Uh, quickly, Adam Thielen, three catches for 36 yards, and KJ Osborne, a measly three catches for 14. I'm sure, Hayden, we're going to talk about the the lineup, the the routes that he ran. It felt like KJ Osborne was out there a lot more often. They just had a really firm handle on this game. Yeah, that's why we had the fantasy usage model show. We'll get okay, to quickly with the Packers, I actually want to make this somewhat of a Vikings conversation because Zadarius Smith... Danell Hunter, the aggression that these defensive line played with to take advantage of the injuries along the Packers offensive line dismantled the Packers unit immediately. Anytime, basically, Aaron Rodgers tried to hold on the football. He was swarmed. He was engulfed by especially Zadarius Smith, who had an unbelievable game. It did open this contest with a deep shot on the first play with Christian Watson and two wide receiver sets. He promptly dropped a 75-yard touchdown along the sideline. But Daigle, that really stood out to me because we didn't see Christian Watson for a single preseason snap. Technically, he drew the start, and that was over Romeo Dobbs, who then ended with four for 37, but he was basically invisible until this game got out of hand. Like, rest of season, and this is a weird conversation to have right off the jump, but rest of season, Christian Watson might have more opportunities than Romeo Dobbs, but universally, like, other than Robert Tunyon, this pass catcher group is just abysmal. They are waiting on Alan Lazard. Like, although we question Lazard's profile, uh, hasn't averaged more than 3.3 catches per game in any season yet in the NFL. The fact is, like, he's vaults to the team's number one receiver by default when you look at these players. Like, Christian Watson, my issue in Christian Watson the entire time is that he is in Julio Jones' body, but plays like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, if not the poor man's version of that. Like, he had a 30% drop rate in the FCS. He hasn't played a single game against FBS competition. So I never really considered him a serious prospect. But, of course, when scouts look at him, they see Julio Jones. So that everyone salivates when they see him run routes. But this has been his issue his entire career, is leaving yards on the field consistently like this. So it's not shocking what we saw from this receiving core, but at the same time, yes, they need Alan Lazard to get back in a hurry and just hopefully be a chain mover. That's all they need right now. It's someone reliable with hands. Yeah, they were down 17-0 at half, and Hayden, I know you want to ask about the running back situation because I think it's in the range of outcomes where both A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones get like 50, 60 catches this season. This was a dual running back approach where so often you saw Aaron Jones in the slot having that motion pre-snap, fake it to him. Um, RPOs as well. He was the primary receiver on the back end, and that meant Aaron Jones was like, or excuse me, A.J. Dillon was like the primary ball carrier. And we also went back and saw that he had that inside the five-yard line touch that resulted in a touchdown too. I know it's week one. I can't overreact. I'm going to make an overreaction. I stand by it. I think A.J. Dillon outscores Aaron Jones this year. The reason why is the inside the five-yard line touches. In the last seven games last year, when they're both healthy to finish the year, it was 11-1 to on inside the five-yard touches in favor of A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon scores a two-yard touchdown here. And in my opinion, I haven't done any research on this, just like thinking about this. The second running back, the one that's running the jet sweeps and stuff, a lot of that stuff, you're not actually getting the ball. Like, it sounds fancy. It sounds fun. We like window dressing. 
Yes, but the actually running back that's getting the ball is the one that uh, I'm interested in. E- even today, A.J. Dillon uh, has six targets, uh, which was actually more than Aaron Jones here. So I think A.J. Dillon, there's a chance he's younger. There's a chance he's just better than uh, Aaron Jones. And I'm not. I'm concerned that if Aaron Jones isn't getting the goal line work, then what really are we doing here, uh, at least if we're going to be continuing to value him as a second-round pick? Any thoughts, Daigle? I know you have to watch this game later on, but I'm I'm with him in the fact that pure rushing numbers, which includes touchdowns, A.J. Dillon, I think, far and away outscores Aaron Jones this season. And I think in the past, even if it's been in small sample sizes, A.J. Dillon has always shown that he has some receiving comfortability too. And he showed that again today, again, as a leading receiver, 5 for 46. I was really monitoring or planning on monitoring A.J. Dillon's usage inside the 10-yard line, as Hayden talked about, since I was curious if he outtouched Aaron Jones in the red zone inside the 10-yard line from Week 12 last year because Jones returned from a knee injury, or was that the plan all along? Was that a changing of the guard? I don't know if we have an answer just yet, but it certainly leans towards Dillon's favor, that that's how they used him in Week 1, although you can argue maybe the second half was meaningless altogether. And I'll tell you this, the quick hitting stuff that Aaron Rodgers does hits differently when it's not Devontae Adams out there. And it's, you know, Sammy Watkins, three for 18. By the way, Evan, Zay Jones, six for 65. Sammy Watkins, three for 18. (laughs) I don't even know if Sammy Watkins gets 65 yards this entire season. They tried to make it Randall Cobb, but uh, turns out he's still Randall Cobb. But more importantly, again, it does hit differently when the best wide receiver arguably in the league isn't out there. And now you're throwing to the combination of Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, no, not even Al Nazard, but like Josh DeGuara and then Aaron Jones in that piece too. You know, I, I got one question. This entire conversation is, is kind of leading me to, is Robert Tunyon the tight end too that we kind of need to get involved with? He was returned earlier than expected. I thought that he was going to miss the first couple of games here. I mean, if we're going to talk in this much shit on their wide receivers and – I mean, somebody's got to catch the pass. And we were talking about all the other tight ends. They're all dusted. Was he actually out there at least? Yeah, and he looked good, man. He looked fluid when he was catching it. And that's such a a thing for me with these tight ends. He's going to have the opportunity, especially over the middle of the field. It makes me nervous about the ceiling that Aaron Rodgers has. But again, we've seen a week one like this before. They need to start Zach Tom immediately because as soon as they brought him in after halftime, they went down and had a scoring drive which they missed that entire first time. Again, they were getting, not every team is going to have a pass rushing duo like Zadarius Smith and Denell Hunter, but this offensive line without David Bakhtiari, without Elton Jenkins, could not hold up to it. Could not hold up to it at all. Um, and Steve in the chat, by the way, says that AJ Dillon got crushed in a fourth and goal from the one. That's true. He also got the opportunity and he also scored another one. Like that is the most important thing that he's getting. He's getting those opportunities. The good news is the Packers get the Bears next week. Seems like that always helps situations. Okay. We have covered every single game that we have focused on. We have a few left. Let's just ask questions that we want answered when we watch the games this week. Let's start off with the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Washington Commanders. Washington actually comes back with a 24-point quarter between the two uh, to win 28-22. to Carson Wentz had that deep shot I saw to Terry McLaurin. And Hayden, the biggest question for me, 21 touches for Antonio Gibson for like 140 yards. This is a player that feel, felt like that they wanted to cast away from their starting lineup. But meanwhile, I saw that Scott Turner got super creative with getting him actual like wide receiver and downfield pass catching usage, which was shocking to me because we hadn't really seen that from the two years previously with Gibson. Yeah, it seems like Brian Robinson's going to be out. They're expecting him maybe week uh, five or something like that. But 
Uh, in the meantime, Antonio Gibson's out there. He was losing third down reps to J.D. McKissick as expected, but if they're scheming things up, that's obviously something to take notice of. And Carson Wentz is a roller coaster, but his passing chart, Daigle, in terms of down the field and outside the numbers is only positive things for Terry McLaurin, who had a noodle arm attached to him last year in Taylor Heineke. And Jahan Dotson's two touchdowns were not a fluke as we saw him run just two fewer routes than McLaurin as we saw throughout the preseason. Him sticking as the receiver in two wide sets with the starting offense. I think the really interesting one is Curtis Samuel because remember, we're only a year removed from him finishing second in the league behind Stephon Diggs and touches from a wide receiver position. And what we saw in this game was 11 targets and four carries. Him used all over the field. Uh, that's certainly interesting for a player who is on everyone's waiver wire. On the Jaguars end, Travis Etienne did not start this game. James Robinson started this game. James he Robinson good. got the goal line carry, got 66 yards, got 11 carries. Travis Etienne, six total touches in a game where there was neutral game script, in a game that there was positive game script, in a game that there was negative game script. He also dropped a fourth and goal target that volleyball spike was a walk-in touchdown which hayden you and i discussed because jay moyer on twitter pointed this out that etn has never been a comfortable receiver despite his receiving profile so that popped up in the first two preseason games this season and it popped up again in week one i was out on travis etn in that round three territory and i would be shaking in my boots with him for the rest of the season after seeing this this was the first game back from James Robinson. We should expect him to get more and more comfortable coming off the Achilles tear, and he out carried him 11 to four here. Uh, Travis Etienne has big play, and like he will break off big plays. If is he consistent enough at the goal line specifically to for it to matter? I'm not sure. I'd be very nervous if I had any round three, round four shares. Look at his goal line touchdown. Well, from just outside the five, and he breaks a couple tackles along the way. He looked good, actually, shockingly good. And like Hayden said, we expect him to look better. Zay Jones, six for 65, as we talked about earlier, with nine targets for a portion of this game. He was their best receiver. And then Christian Kirk, I think, really broke out in the second half with six for 117 himself. We'll also note Evan Ingram, just like we saw in the preseason, a route on the elite 80% threshold of the Jaguars' dropbacks that we look for. So basically just fine as a streaming tight end one. And Trevor, I think, was super rocky in the first half, was sailing passes we'll get into this more but it felt like he settled in in the second half and i'm excited to watch it okay i can't believe none of us picked this game but none of us picked the pittsburgh steelers beating the cincinnati Bengals 23 to 20 um shocking and hayden i just want to know what led to the four interceptions for joe burrow who attempted 53 passes for 338 yards did have two scores t higgins went down so much was funneled in jamar chase's uh direction with 10 receptions for 129 yards, but this is very un-Joe Burrow-like to have four interceptions. Yeah, I'll watch the tape and have better answers then. Uh, I want to notice that uh, Samaji P. Ryan was the one behind Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon catches um, a couple of balls here in addition to 27 carries. That's seven passes for him. So, I mean, if he's going to be catching that many passes, we're talking about an absolute smash in round two. But yeah, it's very curious to see what the offensive line looked like. I think... Uh, TJ Watt left in like the third or fourth quarter, but even before that, or even after it, it seemed like the, the pass protection was still kind of an issue. Yeah, and it sounds like TJ Watt is, is going to have a torn pectoral and be out for a very, very long time. Bengals ran 100 plays in this game as well. Uh, 
The good, the good news is, yes, like Hayden mentioned, Joe Mixon, 42 routes to Samaj Piran's 24, nearly doubled him up as the pass-catching back. What's also interesting is that the T. Higgins concussion, we'll have to see how long that keeps him out. I wasn't on Tyler Boyd like everyone else because in his range, we have to remember from week five on, whenever T. Higgins returned last year, Boyd was the third receiver and averaged 9.4 fantasy points per game. Nothing really exciting. But I was drafting him when his ADP dipped because we knew he was an insurance policy. And now if T. Higgins is out, Tyler Boyd is a top 26, top 28 receiver that we can start weekly. So that's why you drafted Tyler Boyd. Yeah. Only four for 33 here today. Did have a score, uh, but that was just, you know, in a game they had six points in the first half. Okay. Steelers time. Chase Claypool, the leading rusher with 36 yards and six carries. Hell it's yeah. actually something we saw a lot during his rookie season. Like yeah. there's manufactured touches again on these jet sweeps and orbit motions, things like that. Um, I'm all for it, man. He's a big dude who can rumble and has pretty good vision with the ball in his hands, but it's just weird all over the place. He's their leading rusher. Pat Fryermuth is their leading receiver for five for 75. Dante Johnson had a sick catch along the sideline that I think was taken away. Um, but in the end, like Najee Harris, 12 touches, 26 total yards. Did have, got hurt. Did have a touchdown, but did get hurt. Seemed like he got rolled up on and uh, gingerly walked to the sideline. Yeah, it looked really bad. I, I thought he like, I'm completely messed up his leg. They're calling it a foot injury, the same foot that he had issues with previously. Um, I don't know. It looked like to me, I wouldn't have been surprised if he missed the season. Seems like they're a little more optimistic than that. Uh, Warren was the the actual running back coming in, not Benny Snell, but it will just be a bunch of disgusting Mitch Trubisky dropbacks. He looks horrendous. And I will go in depth because I, I think the way people usually handle this is they're going to overreact because it's now a starting running back, Warren, presumably in an every-touch spot. Benny Snell was actually active today and didn't play an offense snap. They only wow. went to Warren after Najee Harris got injured. But I question touches. I question touches in this offense and the actual efficiency of them. So I'll talk about that more in the waiver column. Seems like we have to see it to believe it with George Pickens in this offense, not as an individual talent, but in this offense with it being distributed for him as well. And just the Jay Glazer report, Dale, did you hear that beforehand that Mike Tomlin wants to start Mitchell Trubisky for the entire season? And that yeah, is shocking but, to me, but I don't know if we can really buy it. But it, it feels like I, one of those Glazer bombs that he drops and just like lets it breathe for everyone else after. Also, like I want to cash out and retire tomorrow, but I'll be here another five <laughs> years probably. So we, we all want things. That doesn't matter at all. Oh. I think the most important note too is that Deontay Johnson, even in a carryover from quarterback, uh, I saw JJ Zacharyson tweet this actually, a 32% target share roughly. So like Deontay Johnson's target share that we thought was attributed to Ben Roethlisberger's dead arm just carried over to another quarterback completely. Maybe he's just good at the game, by the way. Yeah, it's 5.5 yards per target also translated to. Yep. That's it's just fine. He's buddy. actually good. It's he's okay. actually good. It's a joke. Let's close it out with the New York Giants being the Tennessee Titans 21 to 20. I don't think we have to look anywhere other than a huge positive of Saquon Barkley looks extremely back, like Penn State back with 18 carries, 164 yards and a score, including a 68 yarder, which was vintage Saquon, if I can say so myself breaking the initial line, getting to the second level, just peeling away from everyone, big guy that can rumble. So that's the positive to go along with six receptions for 30 yards. The negative, we get one or two Kadarius touches for 23 yards, a wide receiver grouping that Sterling Shepard, Richie James got five receptions for 59 yards, Kenny Galladay two for 22. 
at points, Pat Leonard, a beat writer for this team, said that Kadarius Tony was sitting on the bench by himself away from the team. Then we get back to it. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Brian Dayball seemed to be yelling at his quarterback. It didn't look like at all the Giants played a game other than the second half in the fourth quarter where they should have won this contest. With that being said, you cannot convince me that Kadarius Tony is not the best wide receiver on this team. And it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face with not playing Kadarius Tony in this environment. I don't have any information, but it's just shocking with this group that he's not on the field on a near full-time basis. And Wandale Robinson got hurt too. So it's, this is just whatever the off field stuff, we may never learn of it. Um, you can't start him right now. Would you, would you drop Diggle? Would you drop him yet? One more week? I need the night. I need to, we're going to have to horizontally <laughs> tease that. Cause trust me, I, I see that he ran three routes and it's very clearly oh. on him and the organization. It's not, it's not anything else. Like they didn't want him to play. And I wish I knew more into it. I need to look more. I will have an answer though, by the drop list come Monday afternoon. Since I'm corporate's not now, I don't care. Corp, corporate's now instilling deadlines that I've pushed the waiver call about earlier. It has to be something where he just like, doesn't understand the playbook is not practicing. Well, he hasn't been healthy. He's done something behind the scenes because again, the pure talent, even when the two touches that we saw, he's great with the ball in his hands. Nothing has changed. Even if you include Wandale Robinson, who was injured after four routes today, Kadarius Tony was the seventh wide receiver in routes run on his own Sills was running ahead of him. An agent who's Saquon Barkley. Like if you want to get to Saquon Barkley, uh, Saquon Barkley led the team in routes run. Like tell me who shapes up as a better, like, top five running back than a player who's not only leading his team in touches, but leading his own team in routes run from the running back position. Yeah. He's like the running back four right now. If, if we were doing drafts this weekend, like, like it would be the, maybe the three. And, and what's funny is that when you go back and watch this game, cause I had it on the corner, uh, the explosiveness is not there. Like he what? still had plays. Oh, he's, oh it's there. You no, no, no. I will fight you. St- no, go, go watch. He still had plays where he got caught by slower safety, slower cornerbacks. Like old Saquon two years ago would have broke this, but it doesn't matter because it's just enough, right? He's like 80%, and that's good enough well, better on 25 than last touches year, per game. By a lot. Well, anything's better than He doesn't last. look like Devontae Booker anymore. One final He doesn't look like Kadarius Tony. Okay. 13-point third quarter from this team. I believe it was an 8-point fourth quarter for this team. No points in the first half. It looked like Daniel Jones was absolutely abysmal. He was back to his days of when he was pressured, he had blinders on, fumbling in the pocket. That brings me a lot of nerves when wanting to touch anyone on this Giants offense, as we just talked about with Kadarius Tony, because it's just the Saquon show. And that's about it. Like Daniel Jones single-handedly can sink this offense. You know, it's not like Brian Dayball, as we're seeing with these other pieces around the league and Mike McDaniel, obviously Kevin O'Connor has a lot to work with in Minnesota in just a one game sample. I wasn't as enthused about this offense as I was with new, new other play callers around the league. Well, get Kadarius Tony in the lineup and get, let's get. I know that's what I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> it's still it's also still funny that Tony. Well, maybe Tony, but we know Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay are not going to be on this team next year, and like maybe even Kadarius Tony. But this is what they're dealt, and so they are just making the best out of it and trying to go eight and nine. We're not dropping him. 
We are staying patient. Maybe. But maybe by Wednesday we're dropping him. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll learn. We'll no, we're waiting until next week. All, next week we'll make this decision. We can't Jordan run on Pat Leonard. Somebody do something. Somebody there get has to it. to be something behind the scenes. Because I need the actual details of it. I don't want just like he's been a problem. Like, give me the exact thing that actually went Especially wrong. Especially because if you look at his receptions, uh, it was the same thing you saw in weeks four through six last year. It was literally a guy who averaged eight yards per catch after the catch and like looked explosive. And then they immediately ripped him off the field and said, nope, David Seals, get your ass back out there. The talent when he's on the field is not a problem for Kadarius Tony. Okay, questions to ask for the Tennessee Titans. 21 carries for Derrick Henry for just 82 yards. Why? Like, against this front, I know that's 3.9 yards per carry, but, like, why not more? Also, Dontrell Hilliard is the one who gets the touchdowns in the end, and Dontrell Hilliard is way ahead of any other back. We heard it through passing game work, third down work. They drafted us on Haskins. People might go out of their way, Daigle, to go and attack Dontre Hilliard in the waiver wire. I need to watch this game before I would advocate for it, but it kind of not fluky per se, but we can't expect two receiving touchdowns for Dontre Hilliard in a game where he gets, you know, five total touches. After a drive in the first quarter, Derrick Henry went to the blue medical tent for a little bit and then popped back out for the next drive. And from that point forward, essentially, Dontre Hilliard used more. I have no idea why. And so I bet we hear something on Monday or see something in injury reports that tells us, oh, like Henry actually isn't at 100% health right now. Hayden? But, but Dontre Hilliard being the the contingency player to have yes. in this offense was very clear from the preseason. They yep. didn't use anyone else. It was always Dontre Hilliard. This is proof. Uh, we talked about AJ Brown earlier in relation to the Eagles. This is how they replaced him. Cal Phillips, six for 66 yards as a slot receiver. Traylon Burks actually got involved here. Three receptions for 55 yards. I have no context to this, but Robert Woods, just one catch for, for 13 yards. It kind of feels like this wide receiver grouping is going to be difficult to peg as we go around the season, unless someone like Traylon Burks emerges. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be four wide receivers rotating around and on the Ryan Tannehill offense doesn't look that good. I mean, let's put this in perspective. The home Titans just lost to the Giants without any of their wide receivers. Yes. And, and or pass rushers. Yeah, they lost. They're 0-1 at home against the Giants. Right. The one seed from last season. So maybe our expectations for the Titans heading into this year. Uh, and giving up this lead again with a 21-point second half versus scoring seven on their own. Uh, they might have some issues. Okay, Daigle, Hayden, I think we covered every single game. Daigle, this has been an incredible show to have you back. It makes it so much better, so much easier, so much more enjoyable for everyone out there. I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you taking your time on Sunday nights. The people, if you enjoyed it, thumbs up, smash subscribe, and most importantly, Daigle, tell them where they can find your work moving forward for this week and beyond. The usage notes we have discussed and all the horizontal tees as I have given out will be in the waiver wire column, which will be posted on 444.com by Monday afternoon. I think I'm actually going to stay up overnight Sunday this year to get it all done. But it will be there for everyone with notes, not only for your typical Yahoo 12-team leagues that you're just trying to win bragging rights, but also deeper 20 round leagues, sites that don't exist on the underdog podcast, uh, notes for everyone involved. And to get access to it, literally daigle10.com, use the code on 44.com, the waiver wire column, and my private QA chat on Tuesdays in the Discord will be there waiting for you. You're the man, Daigle. Your links and everything for the podcast, for your Twitter feed are down below. What a Sunday. Hayden's going to be back with Sosa tomorrow afternoon on Monday for an early look at the waiver wire. Go and check out that short video. 
And then Hayden and I have our best show of the week, the Stats versus Film Show on Tuesdays. It's back. I got to go watch 16 games to prepare for it. We for are everyone, back. We are. We are most certainly back. But people in the chat, people who watched earlier, people who are watching later, up the bill. We will talk.